Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. Well, this morning, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, okay? We're going to be continuing in our, our Acts series that we have been walking along uh, through this year. Kind of got uh, tripped up a little bit, but I think this was the best spot to get tripped up if there was going to be a spot. And so I want to encourage you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 here in just a second. If you're joining with us online, you can go to our website, which is up there on your screen right now, nbcmetairie.org, and you can get our notes. You can click uh, right there on the resources button and be able to get our notes. And if you're with us today, uh, hopefully you were able to get a set of notes on your way in and have a little pen or pencil that'll guide our time together. So I want to welcome everybody that's joining with us online. It's good to be back. And uh, one of the things that, that we want to encourage you, if you are joining with us online or if you're here in the house, we always love for you to comment or like uh, what's going on. And it helps us kind of get the word out, share what we're doing uh, so that so that God's word can, can go forth even, even more. You know, as I was getting ready for this week and what we're going to be talking about today here in Acts chapter 13, I thought of that, that show. Do you remember that show deadliest catch do you remember that show i think it came out back in like 2005 you know and and it was it was the the neatest thing it was this this group of 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 fishermen it was this you know reality tv series that premiered on the discovery channel and it followed crab fishermen okay and they were aboard all their different fishing vessels in the Bering Sea. And it was during the Alaskan uh, king crab and snow crab uh, fishing seasons. And it got its name, um, you know, deadliest catch because of the conditions on the sea. That they were just so deadly. It was so dangerous. Uh, but nevertheless, the investment, you know, that they were putting in, um, you know, when some of these crabs, I mean, they, they go for uh, $60, $70 a pound, and they felt like that was a, a good return on their investment, so they were willing, you know, to put themselves out there. And, and I, I, as I was thinking and did a little bit of research on my own, you know, we have a lot of commercial fishing down here in, in New Orleans. A lot of it's kind of been uh, messed up with, with the weather lately, but uh, commercial fishing, I was looking at, has long been considered one of the most dangerous jobs in America. Did you know that? You know, you think of things like working on, you know, elect, you know, electrical or whatever. It is actually one of the most dangerous jobs in America. In 2006, the Bureau of Labor Statistics ranked commercial fishing as the job occupation with the highest fatality rate. Do you know that? 75% higher than the fatality rate for pilots or flight engineers or, or loggers. Who knew that logging was such a dangerous job? And the next most hazardous, uh, of, of, those are the next most hazardous of occupations. However, listen to this. Alaskan king fishing, king crab fishing, is considered even more dangerous than the average commercial fishing job. Due, the, due to the conditions on the Bering Sea during seasons when they fish for crab. According to, uh, when we were looking at the, the deadliest catch, according to like the very first episode, the pilot episode of this, the death rate during the main crab seasons averages out to be nearly one fisherman a week. Can you imagine? One fisherman a week, while the injury rate for, for crews on most crab boats is nearly 100% due to the severe weather conditions. 
fishermen understand the risks involved. They understand that there are risks involved. And I had no idea that how risky it could be. I guess we do see that, you know, even in Jesus' time, them being out on the Sea of Galilee and a, and a storm comes up and, you know, the boat's being knocked all around. And these are fishermen, you know, by trade, and they're looking at Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last week. They're looking at Jesus saying, we're going to die, you know, and here they are, but they've been doing this their whole life and by trade. And Jesus, here's the point that I want to make. Jesus has called us in Matthew 4, 19, he's called us to be what? Fishers of men. Well, I think what comes into play there is that this is not just going to be a walk in the park. This is, a, this is a risky calling that God has given us. And the investment, that, that the, the outcome, the return on the investment of, of living for Jesus and being a fisher of men, it, it's so much better than 60 to $70 a pound like they would get with a crab. For us, that the returns are eternal. The returns are much higher that people's lives can, can be uh, entirely turned around. And so I believe wholeheartedly that the investment of being a fisher of men is totally worth it. Don't you? And so as we go into this, uh, we're going to put up here on the screen Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 has kind of uh, been what Jesus told the disciples. This is one of the last things that he tells them before he ascends into heaven. And so here on the screen is Acts 1.8. And this is what Jesus said. He said, listen, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it's almost like the ripple effect like we've talked about in years past. Of it starts out small and then it begins to spread. So when it says here that you're going to be my witnesses, my fishers of men in Jerusalem. I mean, that's like, that's like saying you're going to be my fishers of men in New Orleans. You're going to be, this is your hometown. And then in all of Judea, well, that's our, that's our Metairie. That's our Kenner. That's our West Wego. That's our Gretna. That's our Covington. Okay. All of Judea. And then it goes on from there into Samaria, you know, now what's our Samaria that, you know, that's, you know, people are a little different. That's that 985 area code up there, you know, those Shreveport folks. So, so you got that, you know, the, the, we, we won't go there. So the, the, all of this has been, been happening. And then, what does it say? It says, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, why did I tell you that? Because starting in chapter 13, where we're going to be looking today, is where the deadliest catch begins. We are going to see mission take place. And so for the next several weeks and even months as we get into this, it's going to be all about deadliest catch. And we're going to get to follow alongside. Hopefully it'll feel a little bit like a reality show, but hopefully we'll be able to see that, that the, the travels of Paul and, and, the, and some of the other apostles and where he's going to go, we're going to be able to see deadliest catch right here in the book of Acts starting where we are. Now, a couple weeks ago, what we were looking at is that the hub is actually not going to be Jerusalem. The hub is going to be Antioch. Okay, and so we'll put that up here on the screen so that you guys can see it. You guys know that I'm kind of a map person. I want to know what we're talking about. So Jerusalem is, is, is further down here in Syria. And then you've got all these little lines. What are all those little lines? Well, if you turn to the back of your Bible, this is where it's good to have a, like a physical Bible, like a paper Bible. Remember we used to have those? And so, you know, the, the, the physical Bible, if you turn to the back, you'll be able to see all of Paul's missionary journeys. And we're going to walk through those, and we're going to kind of get on the 
the edge of the very first missionary journey, the one that's up there in red. And so what we're going to see is that not only does God call fishermen, uh, but that he also calls farmers. That's one of the reasons today I've entitled my, my sermon of, of, of farmers and fishermen, and that they are both vital to the expansion of the gospel. And so today we're going to see both going forth. And so if you got your Bible, I want you to look with me in uh, Acts chapter 13. We're just going to go through four verses this morning, so not, not a lot of time here, but just a couple of things and then have your notes ready. We're going to take a few, uh, we're going to jot down a few things this morning. So Acts chapter 13, right here in verse 1, it says, Now the church at Antioch, remember that's the hub of ministry, it's going to be taking place. There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, and Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you have these men that are all different walks of life. In fact, many scholars believe that they're all different races as well. You got, you got Jewish, you got white, you got black, you got, you got all these different kinds. So you got these different races, you got all different walks from life. And so they're all working together, being prophets and teachers. And then in verse 2, it says, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And this is going to be the launch of the missionary journeys, okay? Set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And after that, they, after they had fasted, they prayed and laid hands on them and sent them off. And then let's just get on the edge of this first missionary journey. Let's go into verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And so we're able to see just a, a little bit. And so here's what I want us to see. In the midst of, of there being an explosion here of, of being fishers of men, and the world's deadliest catch, okay? There's also farming that is taking place, okay? And so it, it's describing here spiritual farmers. I, I, I watch a lot of pastors and, and some of their sermons, and, and I, I, I do, I have a growing concern that, that sometimes, you know, the sermons are only designed to enhance someone's social life or maybe their, their confidence in daily life or their family. And all that's good, and that's useful, but what we need to do and what we desire to do here at Memorial is we want to teach farming. We want to teach spiritual farming. And that's why, you know, when my wife was joking around about, you know, folks that have the spiritual gift of cooking, you know, some of that stuff, is, you know, baking, all that kind of stuff, some of that stuff, it's losing its traction because it's not being passed down from generation to generation. And for us, what we want to do here at Memorial is we want to be able to pass down spiritual farming from generation to generation. Well, what in the world do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? Well, I'm so glad that you, that you asked. Because if you got your notes, I want you to see up here, is that in preparation for the mission, God chose servants. Now, you have these five guys that are listed here in verse 1. And so what happens here is that God chooses servants who were already in the midst of the spiritual farming phase. He chooses them. And there's certain aspects of their life and their walk that we can learn from because I believe also that God is choosing many of you. We might have teenagers in here that, that God chooses to use as, as missionaries in life to come. We have a, a, a time, obviously, right now of getting out in our community and being missionaries right here in our community. We have ways that we can give, and so there's things that we can learn here. And so the first one that we have here 
that you have right there in your notes is the prophets. We see there, it says now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Now, here's what I want you to write out to the side. I want you to write planters, okay? Because when you have farmers, okay, and some of these jobs, you know, they can all do, you know, some of the same jobs, but there's specific roles. And one of the things that we see is the prophets, and they are the planters. Now, a lot of times when we hear the word prophets, okay, there were prophets and teachers, okay? When we think of prophets, a lot of times, do, don't you think like, like I do, don't you think of like prophecy, like telling the future, you know? And we're like, well... Do we have a whole lot of those in, in this day and age? Well, you know, uh, the prophecy, some of y'all have heard me say this before, it's not so much foretelling as it is forthtelling. If you go back to the Old Testament, what, what did a prophet do? Typically what would happen is a prophet would hear a word from the Lord. Sometimes it did tell the future, okay? But he, uh, the, the bottom line is he would hear a word from the Lord, and then he would go take it typically to the king. He would communicate God's revelation, okay? And so that's what was happening here in the New Testament church. We did have some prophecies. We saw back in chapter 11 how they, they, you know, they foretold of a famine that was going to take place. So we had some of those things. But nevertheless, what I want you to see is these guys are the planters. They are the ones that are, that are taking what God has revealed to them, and they're passing it on to the church, okay? And then that would take off, and that would grow. And then what that leads us to is the second group that's right here is the teachers okay so you've got the teachers so write this down so what's the difference between a prophet and a teacher well the same people can actually do the same role but the the roles the reason we have a distinction here is because the teachers are the nurturers let's go back to our farming analogy teachers are nurturers they are the waterers okay they are the fertilizers they are the ones that are checking for bugs. This is where I go wrong with my, with, you know, with my little uh, you know, garden out in the backyard for years to come. I'm so bad at this because I'll get out there, I plant it, it begins to grow, but then I don't, I don't check for bugs. You know, So there's things uh, similar to that, uh, just checking and watching and nurturing, all of those different things. Okay, Weed eating, you can think of those things. And so here's what teachers do. They help the church understand the biblical truth and, and like the bugs or the weeds or something like that and someone comes up with a weird idea they, they kind of come in and they say well you, you don't need that okay that's not theologically accurate that's not something that, that God wants us to believe or apply to our lives okay so they're correcting wrong beliefs and, and they could be the same person but they're performing both roles and so that's what we have going on here now why is that so important for us to understand moving into this time of mission because all of this has been taking place, moving into a time of mission. It's because of this. Write this down. In preparation for the mission, God chose servants who were already doing something. And that something, number one, write it down, is being faithful. They were faithful. That doesn't mean that they had everything together. Isn't that good to know? You don't have to come here this morning and have everything together. Praise God. But that God calls us to first and foremost before he sends us out to be faithful. As you see here, it says in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then it lists who they were. Okay. And then notice what they were doing. You see it right here in the, the first part of, of verse 2. It says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Okay. Now, we use this term in our culture today that wouldn't have made sense back then in the church, okay? And even I use it, okay? We even have name tags sometimes that, that have it on there. But there's a term that we have that they didn't have so much, and it's this term called volunteer, 
volunteer. Now, what's a volunteer? You know what a volunteer is. A volunteer essentially means someone who's doing or performing a, a job or a task, and they're doing it pro bono. They're not going to charge for doing that job or that task. And while we use that term sometimes, even in the church, it's really a secular type of, type of word. And so here they are. I want you to grab the picture. We talked about this back in chapter 11. Here they are. This is the first place that the believers in Christ, the church in Antioch, were called Christians. Did you know that? So this is the first place that they're called Christians, and it wasn't exactly a term of endearment. It was a term of slang. It was a derogatory term. It was, oh, those Christians. And so it wasn't very nice at all. Nevertheless, listen to this. The people, the believers, the church in Antioch wore it like a badge of honor. Okay, they knew that they were degrading, you know, that people were making these comments, but they wore it like a like a badge of honor because to them, this wasn't voluntary work. Do you grab that? It wasn't voluntary work. This wasn't even a job. This was a calling on their life. And they were faithful to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's why I'm bringing that up this morning. is because being faithful to the calling that God has given you on your life is always the prerequisite to doing bigger things. It's always the prerequisite to doing the bigger things. Have you been consistent and faithful in the small things? You know what God teaches me as I, as I study his word? He, he, he continues says, Dan, Dan, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Can I trust you with my glory? Can I trust you with my work? Can I trust you? See, if, if, if God can trust you in the small things, being faithful, then when the big project comes, when the mission comes, when everything comes that you might even be scared to death of, but God says, you know what, I'm calling you, I'm going to use you because you've been faithful in these small areas. So my question for you this morning, what are the small areas of your life? What are the small areas that, that, that God, you know, they don't have to be huge things. You don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be any of those things. But what are the small things that God has given you that you have been faithful with? I, I love this quote by John MacArthur. We're going to put it up here on the screen. I'll also put it in your notes just so you can have it when you go home today. He, he says this, An important feature in discerning God's will for the future is to do His will in the present. So I think about that so many times. Aren't we looking for God's will in the future? God, what's your will in the future? What, what school am I going to go to? What job am I going to go to? A am I going to be in a relationship? Am I not going to be in a relationship? God, what, what is your will for the future? And, and, and it's, it's so biblical right here. Where do, I, where do I go? The answer is so simple that his will for the future is for you to be faithful in the present. When you are faithful in the present, he will take care of the future. And so when we take all of that and we put that in our mindset, it changes who we are. Let me give you a great illustration. When we evacuated, um, Carrie Ann's parents uh, live on, um, it's not a farm, but it's about nine acres of land in the middle of nowhere, okay? You thought you had bad reception on your phone. We had bad reception on our phone, okay? But and so it was this area. Uh, we brought our dogs there. They were in dog heaven, all that kind of stuff. But as the storm kind of came, you know, through uh, New Orleans, and we were in uh, central Mississippi, and so it kind of came up that direction too, you know, the, the tree swayed. None of them came down, but um, branches and, and little twigs and all that kind of stuff came down as well. And so uh, one day, Carrie Ann's dad, 
you know, just in passing, we were just kind of chit-chatting. And he's like, you know, I really need to get out there and, and mow the grass. And he said, but uh, I got a, a little worker, a little helper that, that helps me with some things. And he's going to come and he's going to help me, you know, pick up sticks because you can't, you know, mow if you've got branches and twigs and stuff like that down. You don't want to mess up the blades or anything like that. And so anyway, I just kind of caught on to that. And I said, you know, what? I'm going to use this as an opportunity. And so, um, so the next day we get out there and, uh, Pepper is with me and we have a little golf cart. They had a little golf cart that we were able to kind of do some things with. And so I said, Pepper, I want you to come out here, you know, cause you, there's only so much TV you can watch. There's only so much Paw Patrol I can handle. And so, you know, you're, you're dealing with all that. I said, so let's go out and let's start picking up some sticks. And so for about a solid half hour, we start picking up all these, you know, sticks and branches, and there's a little burn pile, you know, out there that we're, that we're bringing them to. We're putting them on the uh, little golf cart that, that we have and taking them over there. And, and so anyway, after about 30 minutes, you know exactly what I'm about to say. Pepper looks at me, and she's like, okay, why are we picking up all these sticks? Why are we having to do this? And I said, well, I said, because we love Grandpa. And, and, and this is one of the ways that we show Grandpa that we love him. You know, he didn't ask us to go out there. He didn't ask us to do it. But, you know, this is one of the ways that, that we show him, you know, that we love him and that, and that we care for him. Well, after a, a, little, a little bit more time had gone by, she looks at me and she goes, Dad, this is so boring. Like, give me something else. Like, give me something new. Give me something fresh. All we're doing, we have been picking up sticks for like 45 minutes to an hour. And, and even I, I mean, I was sweating. I was hot, all that kind of stuff. So I was feeling it too. But she was definitely feeling, Dad, this is so boring. And, and, and I told her, you know, after we finished that we were going to go to her cousin's house and they had a water slide and that we were going to, but that we needed to, to finish first. And, and, and here's the point that I want to make. There are moments that it can kind of feel like that. There are moments in, in your walk with Christ that it can kind of feel a bit like, just like I'm picking up sticks. You know, God, I'm, 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 I'm reading through the book of, you know, Ezekiel or Job or Deuteronomy or Leviticus or something like that, God. And it feels like you're picking up the sticks. And what I would just encourage you to do, even, even in your everyday life, is be faithful with the small things. And I'm not saying that a water slide is going to be on the other side of it, okay? But what I am saying is that when you are faithful, the prerequisite to the bigger things is for you to be faithful. So when you feel like it's picking up sticks, when you feel like it's redundant, just remember that there's a test that is taking place in your life and in your heart. It was the same way here. They were faithful with being prophets. They were faithful as teachers. And then God called them to the adventure of a lifetime. Don't miss that. If you are faithful to God right where you are, God will see that he can trust you and there will be bigger things to come, okay? Now, the second thing, okay? So in preparation for the mission, God chose servants. Number one, of course, we saw that they were faithful. Number two, that they were focused, that they were focused. Now, go back with me in, in verse two. We've read this a couple of times, but let's just kind of home in on, on a couple of things. It says, as they were worshiping, we're going to come back to that, the Lord and fasting, we'll come back to that too, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have 
called them, okay? So they were worshiping and they were fasting. Now, some of the versions, um, some of the versions will actually say ministering to the Lord. Some of your versions of the Bible may have that this morning, ministering to the Lord. The CSB, which I use uh, when I was reading it through, it says worshiping. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to minister to the Lord? What does it mean uh, to, to worship? You know, to, is, it, is it like worship service? Is it like, you know, hands being raised? And, 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 and that might have been a, a part of it, but in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, that term was actually used to describe Levites who worked in various ways in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. So this, this word here that we see worshiping or ministering to the Lord involves like the priest and, and the Levites, and they're dealing with the sacrifices, they're walking alongside the people. And then in the New Testament, we actually see how, how this the, the Greek New Testament use it to uses it to describe prayer, uses it to describe instructing others, aiding the poor. But the whole time, they're not just doing it to check boxes on a list. The whole time that they are doing these things, ministering to the Lord, is because the Lord is their focus. So it's not that they're just doing, you know, philanthropy, okay? That they are, that they are entirely focused on serving the Lord as they serve one another. And so this is how the disciples were, and they were so consistent with this. And then what we also see is that they were ministering before the Lord, and then we also see that they were fasting. Okay, now as we talk about fasting, a lot of times we don't talk about fasting too much because, quite frankly, we're Baptist, and we don't like to fast too much. We like to eat, you know? It's one of those, those, those things. And they were fasting. Now, fasting, here's what I want you to understand. It has always been a way of turbocharging your spiritual life. Okay, turbocharging your spiritual life. It's definitely encouraged throughout the scriptures, but nowhere is it mandated. Did you know that? And so, you know, when Jesus and his disciples, remember there was a, they, had, they had an instance where the disciples were not able to cast out a demon, but Jesus was. Do you remember that? And so the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, why, why weren't we able to cast this, this demon out? And Jesus looks right back at him and says, because this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. It is a turbocharging, if you will, of, of the spiritual life. And in the same way that a turbocharger, for all my car people in here, provides an increase of oxygen flow into an engine, fasting takes your spiritual life to the next level. It intensifies it. And in layman's terms, we were just saying, fasting gives your spiritual life more horsepower. Okay? And so that's what they're doing right here. Fast, fasting, you might even be able to say this, fasting makes you faster. When I was reading through this over and over, I, do y'all remember the show Home Improvement that, you know, years ago with Tim Allen, you know, and it had all, all the, you know, the tools and things that he would describe. Anytime that I thought about fasting and, and the way that it, it changes our spiritual life, I always thought of Tim Allen when he, we, you know, would see a big engine or a big tool or something like that, and he would just go, ar, 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 ar. you know, you remember that? Okay, some of y'all are too young to remember that. We'll show you on YouTube later, all right? But the point is, like, anytime when you think of fasting, I want that to go through your mind. I don't want you to think, okay, prayer and fasting, spiritual discipline. I want you to think Tim Allen going, hur, 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 and that it revs up your spiritual life and it focuses you, okay? 
So get that in, in, in your mind, okay? So, and what does fasting simply do? It says, Lord, I need you more than food. Lord, I want to long for you the same way that my body is longing for food right now. It turbocharges your life, and so it focuses you, and that's what God wants. God has big things for you. He's got big plans for you. He's got big plans for our church. And so I want to encourage you in the meantime to remain faithful and to remain focused. And then there's one last thing that I just want to show you out of this passage. In preparation for the mission, God chose servants. And, and really, it's, and this is more of an observation. Number three, that we're freed. That we're freed. And this is probably the coolest part right here, okay? So it says that, it says in halfway through verse 2, it says, Set apart, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after they had fasted, there it is again, don't miss it, turbocharge. After they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on him, that was just a way of commissioning, okay? But after they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on him, they sent them off. They sent them off. This is so cool. Don't miss this. They sent them off. Literally speaking, and you might even like write this on the, on the side of your notes, they turned them loose. They turned them loose. Almost like a dog that's on a, on, a, on a collar, on a chain, that is like ready to go get that squirrel. And you just turn it loose. And, and, and they just launch. If we go back to our car analogy, it's like in the beginning of a street race where the drivers have been revving their engines this whole time. And the flag comes down and those drivers are turned loose and the tires are squealing and the car peels out on the track. I mean, that is what it's describing here with, with, with Saul and with Barnabas. They have now screeching tires. They have been turned loose to do the mission. This whole time of this, of this preparation, they have been revving the engine. And so the Holy Spirit sets them apart. And Jesus has saved their soul. And they have been teaching, and they have been worshiping, and they have been praying. And now it's time. That burden for the lost world has come to fruition. And now it's time for them to peel out and hit the road. And so here's what I want to ask us this morning. I want to end this morning by simply asking, is your heart revved up for Jesus? In the midst of feeling even helpless, or feeling like I'm just waiting for the next big thing. Is your heart revving for more? Are you being faithful? Are you being focused? As God is doing so much in our area, we have this moment, as we talked about earlier, to give a kingdom investment. This is a great season to give your kingdom investment. And Mr. Riggs and I, he's our principal. He and I have been talking about one word lately. One word has been coming to mind over and over with everything that's going on. And again, I guess it just kind of comes back to our car analogy is that thing of just trying to find traction. Have you kind of felt that way in your own life? Trying to find traction. I feel like we're slipping and sliding all over the road, just getting that traction. Our hearts have been revved up and then there's a COVID case and then our hearts are revved up and then there's a hurricane. I think that God is giving our church opportunity right here, right now. And God is saying, look at me, I'm turning you loose. I'm turning you loose. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? 
Or have, do you feel like you've been stalled out? And so maybe you're here today and being faithful and being focused doesn't exactly describe you. <laughs> maybe that you're here and you're saying, Pastor, that, that doesn't exactly describe me. I'm kind of in this weird place. Well, you can make that change. God can make that change in you with his power flowing through your life. And that can happen today. Maybe that you've seen your walk with God as a checklist. You know, did I read my Bible? Did I pray? Did I go to church? Did I give? And that's exactly where the devil wants you to be. He wants you to be where your walk with God is all duty, all duty and no joy. And instead, you could say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to minister to the Lord. What if you opened your Bible tomorrow morning? You got up early and you opened your Bible and you went through whatever book that you, you know, that, that God lays on your heart. And you say, instead of me reading this because I'm supposed to, or, or, you know, trying to grab some kind of takeaway, I'm going to read this in such a way that, that I'm going to minister to the Lord. That it's, I'm going to make it all about him and about his work. And what we see is that after this moment, the Apostle Paul is later going to have four missionary journeys. Well, really three missionary journeys and one that he's just in handcuffs the whole time. We'll get to that, okay? He's going to have these different missionary journeys and God is going to use him in powerful ways to share his love and truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world. I'm just so glad, aren't you, that he was a faithful farmer. He was a faithful farmer planting, tilling the soil, and watering because that was the prerequisite for him to become a faithful fisherman for the rest of his life.